Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Resilient Christian Podcast. I'm Aaron, your host, and thanks for listening. Few among us will just drift toward joy. Mm-hmm. Um, left on neutral, the brain leans negative. And so it just really affirms for me the discipline component mm-hmm. of celebration and the practices required to cultivate it. Today, I have the privilege to interview Nicole Zazowski, who is an author and marriage therapist and just wrote a great book called Maybe It's Wonderful, an invitation to release your fears, choose joy, and find courage to celebrate. Did you know that when we stop to savor the good stuff in life, we actually buffer ourselves against the bad and build resilience? The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4, 8 through 9, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. It was C.S. Lewis who wrote, Joy is the serious business of heaven. In her book, Nicole shares with us how to live out Philippians 4.8 and Lewis's words and encourages us to pursue a life of anticipation, release fears that hinder our delight, savor the joy of our present life, and find our God-given courage to celebrate. Nicole is very authentic and real, and I hope you enjoy the interview with her. Thanks, everyone. And so, Nicole, thanks for joining us today on the podcast. I'm so happy to be here and excited to talk with you. Um, I think it'd be really helpful just to jump into it to help people listening um, how you would define celebration. Like, what does celebration look like? Uh, When they hear that word, what do you picture and what do you imagine? Sure. There's many faces of celebration. I think the crux of it for me, though, in terms of what's shaped my thinking around it is celebration is not about a transition in circumstances. It's about a transformation of heart. So it's making, it's not about adding something to your life necessarily, although it certainly can look like that in certain circumstances but it's about making a beautiful life with God and the life that you have and not missing what you already have. You said in your book, uh, this great quote, there's so many good quotable authentic pieces and we'll get into the authenticity of the book because you, you're really vulnerable in it. You're not holding back. Um, you said, I was sure that celebration always came with a catch. Like, Ooh, that's like, boom, right there. Um, And so you said, so I became practiced in praying for the miracle while preparing to mourn. Without it, I began to celebrate, uh, to liken celebration to dessert. Enjoyable, yes, but indulgent and unnecessary to the Christian life. That is so good. You know, why is celebration important? Yeah, there's a lot of mentalities that that can hinder our celebration um, and a lot of habits that can hinder our celebration. I think Pessim and cynicism and shame are huge behaviors that we rely on that keep us from celebration because we are afraid. And when I asked my uh, readers what kept them from celebration um, and in conversations leading up to writing and releasing the book, the number one answer was fear that the other shoe is going to drop. Like, Mm -hmm. If I am brave enough to embrace joy, it means that something can be taken away. Another hindrance is this idea that I don't really feel like I have a reason to celebrate. So celebration, I would say the anti-definition for me 
um, is that it somehow becomes some kind of reward for goal achieved or a dream realized or some sort of shift in our circumstances. Um, we want something to change and have a reason before we're willing to do so. And I think, too, we wonder, you know, what if my celebration bumps into somebody else's hurt and it feels insensitive? Or how do I reconcile this invitation to celebrate with my value of humility um, that we're called to as Christians? And so just really wrestling with what the Bible says about celebration. Um, another hesitation for me was, you know, I grew up in the church in a wonderful Christian home my whole life um, and have had a growing faith in Jesus my pretty much my whole life. Mm -hmm. And I was sad when I realized that I was transitioning from a season that could largely be characterized by heartache and loss and change huh. into more of a season of good news and joy. I had no context mm -hmm. for what it looked like to engage with God in my joy. Um, and he was so real to me in the dark mm. and in that painful place. And I knew his character so well. I felt his presence so close. I was very desperate for him and so very Christ dependent in that place. And that was really precious to me, mm. the ways that I had grown um, in that dark place. And then when I started experiencing a new kind of season, mm. I realized, oh, part of the reason I'm afraid is I don't, I don't have a good picture for where God is in the light of my joy. So one of the things that you just said that that was really profound was one of the obstacles to joy is that they think people think people you, you interviewed and um, friends of yours and yourself that, and I, I resonate with myself as well, that you can only celebrate if something goes well. Uh, that, that, and like, there's like a, a reward to it that if it goes well and, and it's, and that reward is kind of based off of my effort that if, uh, if I do something good, then I kind of deserve to celebrate. And, uh, and that's profound. That is a true obstacle, I think for a lot of people. And then you kind of just leaned in a little bit to where I want to go next with a little bit of your story. And you talked about how you experience God's presence in pain. Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit for theirs is a kingdom of heaven. They will be comforted. Uh, you've been writing this book for a while. Would you kind of share a little bit more about your journey the last 10 years that have really inspired you to write it? So I would say my 20s and early 30s were largely characterized by pain mm. and loss. Mm. Um, it included a really sudden move across the country where I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any community, and I really loved the life that I left um, in California where we were previously. And then we it sort of ushered us into this season where uh, we discovered a health diagnosis um, on my in my husband that um, made it really likely for me to miscarry any baby mm. that we were blessed to conceive. And so all of my pregnancies were wrought with a ton of fear. Mm. The odds were against us every time. Mm. Um, and I don't throw this word around as a therapist, but, you know, ultrasounds and really became very traumatic mm. experiences. And so it just felt easier um, to not hope. It felt easier to um, not celebrate and just keep my eyes 
cast down, practice disappointment, like the quote you read, you know, praying for the for the outcome I wanted, but preparing to mourn. Mm. Um, and so there was a lack of vulnerability in my prayers because I thought that I was protecting myself from disappointment by practicing it ahead mm. of time, <laughs> mm. which does not work for those of you who are listening and thinking that sounds like a good idea. Um, but what took me a long time to realize is that there's the loss so there's that triggering event or relationship or that, that painful moment. Um, and then there's the cost. And the cost is the impact to your sense of identity and sense of security and safety. And it took me a, a long time and a lot of living life to realize, oh, part of the cost for me is my willingness to embrace joy is just not there. Um, celebration is not something that I am trusting enough to practice. Mm. Um, and what I realized was I actually wasn't protecting myself from any disappointment. Um, we don't become robots. We're still impacted when mm -hmm. hurt and loss and disappointment happen. But I was protecting myself from a lot of delight. Mm. Um, and that made me really sad. I had this moment, which then turned into a, a process of growing that was much longer, but sort of this moment of, I don't want to miss my beautiful God-given life because mm. I'm so busy preparing for the worst. And I've lost a lot of connection in celebrating with my lack of willingness to celebrate with my husband and other loved ones because I've been so locked in on preparing for what could happen and often doesn't. I've been working through the book and, and it's so good. Um, and it's good, but it's also one of those books where I sat on my couch on my Sabbath for two hours and started reading. And then every 15, 20 minutes, I just would need to get in, get, get in a little walk in around my living room and just kind of ponder a little bit. And one of the places I pondered was in that conversation with your friend in the kitchen. She's got a sign and the sign says, what if it's okay, right? What if it's going to be okay? What was the name? Of, is that what it said? Yeah. yeah. I think it was, what if it's actually going to be okay? And, and, and was th that sign and then something she said kind of what brought the title of the book? Because doesn't she say something like, what if it actually will be wonderful? Yes. So I was, the title came to me on this book really early. Often you have a working title, but you don't really decide until mm -hmm. the 11th hour <laughs> mm -hmm. after you've written the book. Um, but the title never wavered from from um, the beginning before I started writing because that was part of what prompted my personal journey. I was sitting in her kitchen and I was in such a despairing place. Hope didn't feel like a good idea. Dreaming felt stupid. Um, I was having a hard time seeing what was good in the midst of a season that I would have written differently had God given me the pen. Um, and I was really, she, she's one of those safe people that you can just totally be yourself with and mm -hmm. know that it's understood and I don't have to explain. So I was just sitting on her kitchen counter and we were talking and all of a sudden I'd sit in, I'd sat in her kitchen many, many times, but I had never noticed this cute little wooden sign above her kitchen window that said, what if it's actually going to be okay? Wow. And I sort of read that sign as if it expected an answer. And 
you know, said it out loud and she goes, Oh, sweetie, what if it's, what if it's wonderful? Mm. And I mean, that just mm. hit me mm. um, because it, you know, it was God's kind way through my friend of just revealing all of the despair and pessimism mm. and cynicism in my heart um, and even shame that was keeping me from celebration. You know, you, you mentioned that you were protecting your heart from delight, but it, it sounds like, you know, that sign and her question and a listening ear kind of just broke through uh, kind of those that protection and uh, sent you on a different journey and began to make you think that maybe uh, there's there's more and I need to celebrate more. Cool moment with that friend. I, I When I was reading about her, I was like, man, she sounds awesome. Whoever that lady is, um, good yeah, friend. Yeah, she is awesome. My friend Blair. You've done quite a number, uh, a bunch of research on this as well. Um, what research did you find um, that was most important to the book? Yeah, so um, pessimism is, you know, sort of this commitment to the worst case scenario mm. and preparing for that scenario. Um, Ecclesiastes was really helpful to me <laughs> in understanding the role of pessimism in fear um, when it comes to our joy. Mm. Ecclesiastes talks a ton about joy and what joy is and what it isn't. And um, a couple of verses in Ecclesiastes just really revealed to me that, you know, if, if we're committed to that fear lens, it will only ever show us different angles of the same problem. Mm. You know, the author of Ecclesiastes talks about under the sun. It's like if if we're, what we're looking at, the problem is all there is, then it's just going to take us on a tour of different angles of the same problem instead of, you know, I often say that joy is trusting God's promises in pain, mm. um, that, that we're able to see that what is, what is here in front of us is not all there is, and what is dark today is not going to be dark mm. forever. Mm. And that was confirmed in the neuroscience research. You know, when we are committed to that fear and worry, what happens in the brain is it's, it's a little bit like tunnel vision. Mm. Um, so our our vision for what is possible, and if you're, you know, if you put your trust in Jesus, you know, what is possible with God. Mm. Um, but but in that fear place, our lens gets really narrow, mm. and it's hard for us to to think in possibilities of no, what if it's going to be okay? What if it's wonderful? Even if it doesn't turn out, even if the provision looks different than my vision. I think for a long time, if it didn't look like my vision, I, I missed God's provision because wow. my lens just couldn't go there. Wow. Um, I couldn't see the very good ways that God was showing up for me that ended up being better gifts than the ones I knew to hope for. Mm. Um, because didn't look how I expected it to look. Mm. Um, I think, yeah, there, there were so many things that came up in my research around the brain. We're not fighting on neutral ground here. Oh. So our brain is like Teflon with joy. <laughs> that's right. I remember that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, um, and that's, that's not me uh, being negative and discouraging to those listening. It's we just have to know what ground we're fighting on. And so you're you're not going to few among us will just drift toward joy. Mm -hmm. 
Um, left on neutral, the brain leans negative. And so it just really affirms for me the discipline component mm. of celebration and the practices required mm. to cultivate it, um, to cultivate joy in our hearts through the practice of mm. celebration. And I was a little annoyed uh, that that celebration had to be a discipline. I'm like, come on, can't that just be a natural reaction? Um, but then I've realized what a gift that is. Oh man, there's so much there. I mean, number one, like, what was that? If, if, if your vision was different than how God's provision was? Yeah, if we're so committed to our vision, we will often miss God's provision. That's good. That'll preach all day. That'll preach all day. The Apostle Paul in the Bible was somebody who went through a lot of suffering and trials. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four through 28, he outlines a few of them. He said this, Five times I received 40 lashes minus one. I was beaten with rods. I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger of, in rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger in the city, and in danger in the country. Paul obviously went through lots of trials, but yet while in prison, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, he said this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. But you're, you're right, you know, um, uh, you know, the, the story about the Teflon, that our minds are not neutral ground, that we do uh, lean negative, that we'll be more drawn to fear and worry than towards joy. Uh, that spoke a lot to me when I read that. And you, you said this in the book, perhaps you've seen joy and discipline as somewhat mutually exclusive or opposing forces. That's a fantastic line. At the very least, maybe you have perceived joy coming as reward for an accomplishment achieved through discipline. But joy is not the opposite of discipline. It is the key to discipline. And then you mentioned Nehemiah. Um, you know, some people see prayer and fasting as the most common spiritual disciplines. Um, but can you speak into how someone can embrace celebration as a spiritual discipline and, and what that may look like, what it looks like in your life even? Yeah, this was so this was so important to me to um, expand in the book because mm. I, for so long, like so many people, thought that celebration was a big party after when you have a reason to do so. You know, you achieve a dream or a goal, your circumstances change somehow in the ways that you had hoped, and really, like you said, it's it's a cultivated practice. And so just a few of my favorites, if you're curious about this, the last third of the book is um, really where I talk a lot about those practical things, but a few of my favorites, the first is savoring. Mm. So what I love about savoring is it celebrates the ordinary. Mm. So, um, and the way that you do this is you take an ordinary moment that you might, you know, your brain only, it's very efficient. It only likes to hang on to what it thinks it has to. Mm -hmm. So moments like bouncing your baby or unloading the dishwasher or watching your five-year-old play outside, it doesn't record as significant things that you need to remember. Um, but you and I both know that they are and that much joy can be had in those ordinary moments. And so the way that you practice this is you ask your five traditional senses what they're going to remember. So what do you see? What do you taste? What do you hear? What do you feel? And what do you 
which one am I missing? Taste, see, hear, feel, smell. And some of those might take some time. Mm -hmm. You know, when I'm holding my daughter, you know, the weight of her on my chest is really clear. The the sound of her snoring is really clear. The That sweet baby smell is really clear. Mm -hmm. But, oh, yeah, I have a lingering coffee taste in my mouth. And that all is helpful in um, recording the moment significant and, and having your brain hang on to it and celebrate it. And what motivates me to do that is you and I are going to live a lot of beautiful moments. Hopefully we're going to remember most of them, but none of them are going to be just like this one. And so it just makes it more special and sacred when you don't assume that, yeah, this is just another day. Um, another one of my favorites that you mentioned earlier is the practice of Thanksgiving. So again, nothing needs to change in your life in order to practice this. Um, but Thanksgiving, we often talk about gratitude. That's become a conversation in our culture a lot recently. And it is, a, it definitely increases our joy and it is a wonderful conversation to have. Mm. What it does is it helps us um, note and name mm. what is good in our everyday lives. So mm. noting, it changes our perspective. It changes the way we see and what we look for throughout our day. Naming puts language around it and, yeah. and structure to it that makes it more concrete. But what we don't often talk about is that the research says that actually expressing that gratitude through Thanksgiving, whether it's to another person in your life, whether it's to God and your prayers, the giver of all gifts, Thanksgiving is the avenue we've been given to celebrate the gift with the mm -hmm. giver. It's the avenue we've been given to engage with God in our joy. And so when, when I was confused about what God looked like in the light of my joy, Thanksgiving was so helpful to me as a practice because um, I got to interact with him directly in the light of my joy. Instead, you know, I too was more clear on what it looked like to ask for help. <laughs> um, but, but I recognized it as just a... Um, a way that increases my joy when I'm able to express Thanksgiving. And mm. when you're able to tell another person in your life, here's the difference your presence in my life makes mm. to me. Here's how I've grown. Here's how I think and feel differently because you're a part of my life. Mm. Are you kidding me? I mean, that, that not only increases my joy to get to share that with somebody, but certainly increases theirs as they receive it. That's such a humble posture. To communicate those things, I, I think about, you know, all of life ends up being about relationships in the end. And to communicate to somebody that level of thanksgiving is vulnerable and it's humble. And in a culture of entitlement and in a culture where there's just a lot of focus on the self and you're the center of the world, um, I think people have got out of the habit and maybe the muscle is very weak in communicating that level of vulnerability to people that we're thankful to and for. The research is also clear that joy is the most vulnerable feeling that we feel. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Um, wow. So there's, you're spot on. There's a lot of vulnerability in any of these expressions of joy because we don't often, we, at first it's 
seems confusing as to why that would be because we would think unpleasant feelings are like shame yeah shame yeah yeah yeah. and certainly there's there's a different kind of vulnerability that's present in those as well but what what accompanies joy automatically is the possibility of disappointment and loss wow Um, Wow. so if you're brave enough to hold something and embrace that joy and and let alone celebrate it it is automatically accompanied by the Mm. possibility of having to let go. And so mm. that's why it's so vulnerable. Mm. And so that expression of thanksgiving and savoring, uh, just to name a couple, Gosh. Are, are vulnerable and require courage. You mentioned in the book, I think it was right around the same time with the Teflon illustration, that we need to to kind of double down on the idea of speaking, saying it out loud. Like, like there's something about the brain and our hearts of like, actually verbally saying it and not just thinking it. Can you speak into that? Do you remember that section? Oh, yeah. No, it's very, it's something that I hammer home and in my counseling practice too, because there is a vulnerability in speaking truth. Mm. We're very, we're more comfortable talking about our painful feelings often. Um, Although I know that can be hard too. And we can recognize the things we do in reaction to that pain that are understandable, but not very helpful. Mm-hmm. But then when we address those feelings with the truth, the, you know, cause there's a difference between feelings being real, which they are and feelings being true. They mm-hmm. don't always tell us the truth about our identity and safety. And mm-hmm. so getting to talk to those feelings with the truth um, that you're going to trust, whether you feel it or not, and then that new action. And so it's important to say those things out loud mm. because we can think about a million things at a time. We can only say one thing at a time. Mm. So it keeps us very focused on what that feeling is that we're talking to and what truth we're addressing it with. Also, the brain processes it differently when it hears it audibly. So if you've ever had this experience of um, talking through a problem or talking through a sermon that you're going to give out loud with somebody just processing it, and then you're like, oh my goodness, I liked the way I said that, or it's becoming more real to me Mm -hmm. as I'm talking. Mm -hmm. I know that happens to me as a therapist a lot when I'm explaining something and then it becomes more real to me as I'm talking. Mm. Your brain just hangs on to it differently when Mm. it actually audibly hears it. Uh, You've learned a lot about God on the journey in the book. You talk about that. You talk about this picture of Jesus uh, that somebody gave you. And I think I've seen the same picture and it's of it's of him laughing. It's a, like a sketch of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I love that picture. I, I I've given that I'm, as, as as a spiritual director. I've given that to to my my directees, and they're just like they're like Jesus cannot be that way. Like he he can't just be he to people they project, you know whatever image of Jesus they have. But it's this stern, stoic, uh, withdrawn Jesus, not this like engaged, joyful, humorous Jesus that that can laugh. Can you speak into that, that, what that picture was for you of Jesus laughing and, and what, what you've learned about the character of Jesus and God as you've begun this discipline in your life? Yeah, like, like I mentioned earlier, I just had this, I, I felt really sad when I realized that I couldn't picture him at all mm. in the light of my joy. And mm. I, I sort of had this picture of him being so tender and close and walking me over hard and uneven ground. Yeah. 
And then when we got to ground that was delightful and soft underfoot, um, him letting go and saying, okay, you let me know when you need me again. Mm. Enjoy. You know, I, I, I didn't even know if he was in the room. I assumed he was and because mm. of what I know of him um, and what scripture says, but it wasn't a visceral awareness for me. And so when my client mentioned this picture of a laughing Jesus, um, I just thought, oh, that just confronts so many assumptions about who he is. Um, but just if we took a 30,000 foot view of the Bible and of his life, we recognize that their book ended by celebration. Mm-hmm. I think often we focus on the fall as sort of the beginning of the, the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and our brokenness is the beginning of our story. But our brokenness is so much better understood when we can um, know our starting place mm-hmm. as, as his beloved. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when we are his prized yeah. creation mm-hmm. um, that he rejoiced over and called good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's the celebration in the beginning. And then Revelation is full of promise that joy is our inheritance mm-hmm. in Christ, that what is dark today is not going to be dark forever, mm-hmm. that we have the presence of his spirit and, and joy is a fruit mm-hmm. of the spirit, mm-hmm. it's a gift to us. Um, that, that in the end, you know, as Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And so that's that's the Bible bookends. And then Jesus' life, you know, his birth. There's so many beautiful pictures of mm. celebration. Yeah. Um, you know, kings bringing gifts, the angels rejoicing, yeah. shepherds dropping everything to be present in the celebration. Um, and then, of course, the resurrection. Mm. Um, and what the celebration that that means for us as yeah. we can unite with with Christ as his bride. So, mm. um, and that was another thing that was interesting to me. I had, it sounds like semantics, but I think it's important. I had often heard, you know, Christ came to suffer on our behalf. Um, you know, Christ came to die for our sins. And yes, I understand the truth of, of those statements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think, it's said better when we can understand that suffering was a necessary means to an end yeah. so that he could rejoice with us being united with him. So mm. that that would just shifted my perspective on the role of joy in scripture and yeah. in Christ, you know, that it was central to his mission. And you talk about, you know, celebrating with other people in community, whether it's your family or your friends. Um, can you speak into how people can practice celebration in, in community? I mean, obviously communion would be probably the most consistent one we do in our churches, but are there other ways that you envision people um, celebrating? I think about even the story of you and your neighbor. I, I think it was the opening story of the book um, where, where you are outdoor in your patio and, and you have your lawn chairs and yeah. your, your neighbor comes yeah. over and, and he's like, what are you doing? And you're like, we're celebrating you. Like, like I love, I love that. Cause it's like, yeah. so, um, I actually, I actually did it to my kids. My, my daughter walked up to me and I was like, guys, we're celebrating something. She's like, what? I'm like, we're celebrating you and finishing school this week. And she's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And she got stoked. And so as soon as I read that chapter, I was like, I'm stealing that, you know, um, but like, how, how can we celebrate in community practically, you know, even, even what you did in the patio, even in church, like, what do you, what do you see? Yeah, I think community is, I, I talk about ritual mm. at the end of the book as, mm. a, as a practice in, in celebration. Just that regular 
time that cues our bodies to rest and and to celebrate. And you know that that didn't happen for the Israelites because they felt like they had earned it or they had achieved something or you know that, that some space opened up in their schedule for them to celebrate. They they celebrated because it was time to do so. And and that's a reflection of God's goodness and faithfulness mm. in our lives and and not our own. Um that celebration is the fruit of his goodness and and not ours, which is why that regularity is so important because it takes it outside of a reward. Um but when you show up in community and you start hearing more of those testimonies mm-hmm. and and how God is moving in other people's lives, um, it just, again, throws gasoline on mm-hmm. that awareness of his faithfulness to us. So there yeah. has to be that sharing component. Yeah. It's one thing to privately get an email with some good news or get a phone call that you got the job or whatever it might be like. Or, you know, hearing your doctor say you're cancer free or whatever it is and be like, yay, wonderful news. Yep. But when you start calling your friends and celebrating that and sharing that, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Like that, that just increases your joy yeah. a million times over. And, mm-hmm. you know, Paul in the New Testament uses the word kara for joy. And he uses it in a few different contexts, but one of them is is the spread of the gospel, with sharing the ultimate good news. Yeah. And often, I think we're fearful of how's this gonna land or what what's this gonna look like. But that is not ours to worry about. We are promised joy if we share the good news. Um, I want I want to wrap us up here. Just two last questions. Um, the first one is just with people who uh, may be listening to this and say, you know, I, I don't have that personality type. You know, look, I'm not, I'm not an ENFJ or I'm not, you know, whatever. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an eight on the Enneagram. What, like, I, I just do not, you know, I hear celebration. That's got to be about personality. Um, do they get a, a hall pass on this? Um, for anybody who's listening and they say, I'm just not the celebratory type. Yeah, we often think of it as a party or somebody who's good at event planning or the details. <laughs> and what, um, you know, I had a graduate school professor who said, you know, the instant you try to become what you think you should be, you'll, you'll mm-hmm. lose your nudge on the spirit. And so celebration does not require that you become something that you're not. It, it does require that you show up brave with the self that you are mm-hmm. um, and celebrate his goodness in your life and whatever that looks like. So if that um if, if a big party is a good fit for your personality and gifts, go for it. I think that's a beautiful thing and shouldn't be diminished. Um, if, you know, it looks like quietly savoring or, or saying thank you one-on-one um, over coffee with someone um, or saying thank you to God at the end of every day, mm. go for it. Mm. I, I think those, um, a lot of these are important things to practice regardless of your personality. Yeah. But it certainly doesn't have to, like, I think we miss out when we diminish or limit, I should say, celebration to being a party planner. Yeah. Um, even though I'm really grateful for party planners because <laughs> yeah. their gifts are so different than mine and I am in awe. So if that's you, we need you. Yeah. Um, but don't feel like you're disqualified from celebration if that's not you. Yeah. What I hear you saying is no matter what type of personality you are, 
find a way that's authentic to you to express gratitude, celebration, and thanksgiving and to savor in each moment. Uh, is there any last things that's burning on your heart to share about your book and this topic of celebrating that would be helpful for anyone listening? Hmm. It's the realization that often my disappointment isn't as much about the no or the loss itself, but more about um, expecting more joy from the gift than it was meant to give. Um, and how celebration has a way of revealing um, gifts that might be standing awkwardly in the wrong position in our hearts. And if, you know, I often say that the only what, what sits at the center of our affection will determine the satiation of our joy. And, and that's why I like taking celebration out of um, this idea that it's some sort of reward or only possible when you achieve that goal or realize that dream. Because um, if it becomes a reward for those things, um, then, then it means we're putting too much of our identity and sense of security in the gift itself. And there's only one gift, the person of Jesus that that's belongs good. at the center. So, yeah, that's good. That, that, that makes me think of Sabbath and how mm-hmm. one of the temptations with Sabbath is to see Sabbath as a reward for six hard days of work. Like, okay, now I get to enjoy this day yeah. versus like, what would it look like for you to really blow six days of work and you still get Sabbath, you know, like it's not dependent on if I did a good job on my work. It's a gift that God gives us to be reminded of all the good that he is and who he is, you know? So I, uh, that really, cause sometimes on my Sabbath, I'll, you know, go, man, I worked hard this week. I can enjoy today. And it's like, no, I can enjoy today. Even if I didn't get all this stuff done. Yeah. And that's the discipline part. Cause I'm like you and I, I am, more easily enjoy a Sabbath if I feel like the work is done or I completed what I wanted to or the week met my vision uh-huh. um, for how it was supposed to go. And that's that's the part we need to learn from the Israelites, that we celebrate because it's time, yeah. not because um, we've you know finished what we wanted to do. That's good. We celebrate because it's time, not just because we earned it. I know how hard it is uh, to sit down and write and to accomplish this uh, writing a book. So, uh, you know, congratulations on it. It is something to celebrate. It's a really good book. And so Nicole, thank you for being on the podcast today and and being here. You have blessed us with a lot. And I want to just uh, encourage anyone listening to pick up the book. You can buy it at any place that, that uh, sells books, Amazon, the book again, the title of it is uh, what if it's wonderful, an invitation to release your fears choose joy and find courage to celebrate. It comes out March 8th and uh, you can order it now on pre-release. So Nicole, thank you again for being on the podcast today. Really grateful for you and uh, what God is doing in your life and through you. Well, thanks so much for having me. This was fun. Everyone, thank you so much for listening again to another episode of the Resilient Christian Podcast. Uh, This is season three. We're really excited. We are praying that you would experience Jesus today and know him. Uh, If you would uh, do us a favor, and if this show is blessing you in any way, would you leave a good uh, review on Apple and follow us on whatever platform you follow that helps us get the word out. And then we would love to um, hear any stories or any questions you have. You can always DM us on our Instagram account 
at Resilient Christian Podcast and let us know what God's up to and ask us any questions. And it really is you who make this show what it is. We love our audience. We love the people who listen. And we're grateful for your time wherever you listen from. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care and God bless.